Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, I'm very excited about my guest today. Uh, I heard about this amazing woman many years ago, actually. Uh, I was first exposed to her, and I'm pretty sure you have probably also seen uh what I saw, which was her TED Talk. Her TED Talk uh, in 2008, I think, went viral on the internet, has well over 26 million views, if not more, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, She was chosen as one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. Can you believe that, folks? And she's been on The Oprah Winfrey Show, as well as many others. Uh, Her book, Memoir, My Stroke of Insight, documented her experience with a stroke and her eight-year recovery. In 1996, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, read, and write, recall any of her life. Can you imagine that, folks? And so, uh, welcome, Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Welcome to Soul Talk. Thank you so much. I'm. Uh, it's a special. It's a special privilege to be with you on this subject. So thank you. Yeah, I've really been looking forward to when I saw your TED talk many years ago. I was just so captivated, fascinated, so inspired, and uh, so I've been looking forward to the conversation. Uh, before we dive in, I have so many questions I want to, to kind of delve into. I'm always curious about people's backgrounds in terms of upbringing and what inspired uh, folks to do what they're doing. And so tell me a bit about like, what was the inspiration for you to do what you're doing in terms of neuroscience and studying the brain and what, what, what inspired that direction? Um, Was there an event? Was there some influence? Was there a moment? Was there an epiphany? Uh, Tell me a bit about that. There was a brother. (laughs) Okay. There was a brother. And my brother was 18 months older than I was. And he would eventually be diagnosed with a brain disorder, schizophrenia. Mm. So from my perspective, of course, as children, you don't know, we don't understand that the brain can be ill uh, or what mental illness is. We just have no concept of that. All I knew was that my brother was very different from me in the way his brain 
interpreted our experience and then in the way he chose to behave versus how I chose to behave. So so mine was uh, growing up with a brother who was very, very different from me. And I thought, biologically speaking, he's the closest thing to me that exists in the universe. So it's got to be this organ, this brain thing. What is this brain? And that's when I became fascinated with human, human anatomy, human brain, all of that. Wow. What, 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 I mean, let's start from the beginning. What is the brain? We all have a brain. I mean, I, I, forgive yeah. me if it's, a, if it's, if it's like a sort of basic question, but you know, what is the brain? We all have a brain. We all assume we know what it is, but I think, I don't know if we really know how it functions typically. And so what, what is the brain and what does it really do? The brain is a collection of a specialized cell called the neuron, and there's about 800 billion neurons, so a whole bunch of neurons. And these cells communicate with one another via chemicals through a what we consider an electrical phenomenon. And But in addition to these neurons, these 800 billion neurons, multiply that number by 10, and you have the number of little glue cells, these little cells that, that glue essentially onto these neurons in order to prevent neurons from having direct contact with themselves as well as with the, the blood vessels. So the neuron, the uh, brain is this, this magnificent collection of cells. And as soon as you have two cells, they're capable of communicating with one another because they're having different experiences. So I, I like the looking at the brain as a microcosm of all these cells in communication with one another to the macrocosm of humanity, which is all these people in communication with one another in relationship to this planet. So the brain is this collection of cells. And so every ability we have, whether it's a thought, an emotion, or a physiological response to what we're thinking or what we're feeling, it's actually cells communicating with other cells with certain chemicals. And um, we, we, we therefore have the ability to have these abilities because of these beautiful cells. Now you mentioned a healthy brain, ill brain. What is a healthy brain? And how would you know if a brain is ill? Or how would you define the two? I would say that a healthy brain is a brain that is organized such that it is capable of creating health in the overall organism. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to be a healthy human being, then my brain is going to organize information in such a way that I can create health inside of myself and in relationship with those in the network of humanity around me. So technically, it's going to be uh, the brains that agree with the majority of what we define as reality, which is really interesting because right now we're living in a time where what is reality is actually coming into question. Mm, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you talked about your brother um, having schizophrenia and mental illness. And so in your learning, I'm, I'm curious also, like what happens in someone's brain when they have mental illness? 
what what is is, is there a process is there because because many times you can be with someone and they look normal right they they look fine they look normal yet their reality is something completely different and can you talk a bit about what that is like what is schizophrenia bit about mental illness and what what happens is it is it genetic is 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 it based on an event that occurs like and how do we heal it so you just asked about 20 very important <laughs> questions um but i'm gonna i'm gonna boil it down to the cells again we have we have neurons inside of our brain that create uh, communication systems between different groups of cells. So I can think a thought and I can stimulate the motor cells that go to my index finger and I can wiggle my index finger because there's an open line, direct line of communication that I have the capacity to do. You probably have that same ability. Yes. But if something should happen anywhere inside of the brain or in on the route to the finger, I may not be able to wiggle my finger. So that's an example of something in the external body. But mental illness is going to be a different interpretation of information processing. And each of the different mental illnesses are different in which cells are performing which kind of a function differently from what a normal brain would organize that information as. So a, a simple one is going to be uh, the neurological disorder of uh, Parkinson's disease. Mm. Parkinson's disease is believed to be caused by a small group of cells in a group of uh, a collection called the substantia nigra. We all have it. It's located in the, uh, the uh, midbrain region of our brain brain stem. And these are cells that produce, their job is to create and produce dopamine. And if for mm -hmm. some reason they go offline, then the dopamine get, becomes a deficit. And all of the other things that get activated by dopamine don't happen because the dopamine is no longer there to function. Um, as far as, as a mental illness like schizophrenia, schizophrenia is very complex in that, uh, again, at the cellular level, the cells are going to be processing information differently. And so, for example, it is very common for people with schizophrenia to a typical person when they're tracking a moving target through space, for example, with their eyes, um, as you know, we're always watching everything's in motion, right? The normal brain, the normal eye system will jump in front of the, uh, the object in motion and then jump back onto the, the piece that's in motion, jump in front, jump on, jump in front, jump on. And in, in more than 80%, something like 86% of people diagnosed with schizophrenia, instead of having that type of pursuit where you're, you're jumping in front and then jumping on uh, the object in motion, there's this thing called the wave jerk motion of the eye. So the eye jumps in, uh, in front of like normal, but then instead of jumping on the object, it jumps behind the object, and then in front and behind and in front and behind. So there's no way whatsoever that the brain can reorganize at the level of its raw data 
in order to have a normal perception. So how, if the eyes alone are bringing in altered perception of vision, how on earth would that brain ever make up for that or know that it even needed to in order, and this is billions of bits of data per moment, right? So the brain of a person with schizophrenia is just even at the level of, of vision is going to be severely altered from normal perception. So there's just no way that that brain at uh, the most elementary level can create a normal reality because it's not focused on Mm. a normal reality. It's actually bringing in different data. Uh, Is it genetic? We believe some mental illnesses are genetic and that in addition to that, we need to have some type of a external um, uh, infarct, some kind of stimulus Uh, some kind of trauma, some kind of something else in addition to uh, the predisposition for a mental illness. Otherwise, all children uh, in a family would experience the same mental illness. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you're saying there's something in the eye movement? Well, something in the eye, but also people diagnosed with schizophrenia have an extremely high pain level. So they don't know that they're in pain until it's really, really screaming at them compared to a normal perception. So the Mm -hmm. point here that I'm making is that this is the way the cells are bringing in information and organizing that fundamental information and why one brain would have different interpretation of reality versus one that is, uh, quote, quote, normal. Sure. Sure. For someone, let's say, and I'm curious what you've learned with your brother, but for someone that has, let's take schizophrenia as an example, what can be done to help this person? What are some of the things that can be done? Are there cures? Are there healing modalities that can help? Can this person's brain be sort of brought back into balance and normality? Can you speak about that? Well, again, if we're going to look at what is schizophrenia, and it's not one thing, you know, line up 15 different people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia, Mm. uh, they all probably have had alterations and shifts at different periods of their normal development. So they're all different. It's not like Parkinson's where it is. And that's the difference between a neuropsychiatric illness where there's such deviation inside of a class of illness, as opposed to something like a neurological disorder, which is clearly defined, you have a problem with those cells in the substantia nigra, you're going to result in certain symptoms as soon as you take the decrease the amount of dopamine. And then and then we have that to treat. So, so the brain's a very big place. And, you know, I think that the, the point I'd like to make based on your line of questioning is how amazing it is that any two of us can communicate at all mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. precious and, and, and uh, this, this organ is and how important it is that we protect it. Yes. And instead of that, we actually live in a society that is extremely abusive through alcohol or drugs uh, uh, and other forms of addiction where we're actually hurting mm-hmm. the cells that we do have. What effect, what if, now I was going to ask, like, what effects the, do alcohol, for instance, maybe you could speak to each one, alcohol or specific drugs have on the brain? And maybe what are some of the most harmful things 
for the brain? Well, harmful for the brain is anything that is going to cause it to do something excessively because anything's going to override the brain. We feel alcoholically intoxicated because we have we our brain cells are drunk. They, you know, alcohol will cross that the barrier. Uh, it will actually cause these cells to swell and crenate, which is like take a, a plum and burst it up as fast as you as uh, fat as you can and then crenate it, scrunch it down to look like like a raisin. Um, alcohol is a toxin. It is a poison to the biological system. So we feel drunk because we're poisoning ourselves. Wow. Um, I mean, frankly, that's exactly what we're doing. Mm. Um, any drug that we take in is actually impacting the brain because it is riding on top of the system that's already there. So mm. I already mentioned dopamine, for example. And so if we take a drug that increases or decreases dopamine or serotonin or whatever, which is what medications are, and it's also what drug abuse will do. So any anything that we do excessively is going to throw the brain out of its normal, healthy, uh, homeostatic environment. So, so really recognizing that I'm not just me, an individual, a human, a woman, but I'm this magnificent collection of cells. And if I want true health, I need to honor the life of these 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses that make up my form. Amazing. In terms of, you know, there's a lot of research being done now in terms of like uh, psilocybin and uh, even uh, the, the popularization of ayahuasca and plant medicine. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What, what effect does that have on the brain, like ayahuasca, plant medicine, psilocybin? And are they, is, is it positive, negative? Give us uh, your thoughts there. You know, I think excessive use is abuse. Um, I don't think that that's a good idea. Personally, it's probably going to end up burning out systems and killing cells. Mm -hmm. But if you're using psilocybin, for example, through the mushroom um, uh, as a tool to, to decrease certain circuits that uh, you'd like to decrease in order to experience other circuits so that you have a better sense of who and what you are as a living being, then in moderation or on occasion, especially strate strategically used for the health of the organ, mm. I can say is a good idea, but I'm against abuse. I mean, I worked way too hard to rebuild my brain in order to be able to function enough like a human, normal human being to be able to be uh, a completely functional specimen again, if you will. So um, I think that the, you know, the miracle of life is the miracle of, of life and taking care and tending to this beautiful organ and body for a long and healthy life is certainly my objective. Mm -hmm. Got it. The brain, the mind, is there a difference? Well, so um, you mentioned my first book. You mentioned uh, uh, my stroke of insight. Yes. And with my stroke of insight, my left hemisphere shut down completely, and I shifted into the consciousness of the right hemisphere. 
And the right hemisphere is an organ that uh, really carries information all about the present moment. Can you tell us a so, bit, can, can, can you t- just share a bit about like, for those that may not have read the book, like what actually happened in that moment? Could you describe that a little bit? Well, over the course of four hours, I woke up one day and I had a hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And the left half of our brain specializes in certain things as opposed to the right hemisphere of the brain. So the right hemisphere is a machine that is all about right here, right now. It thinks in the present moment. It has experiences in the present moment. It processes information in the present moment. And it's, it, is, it just looks at myself as a living entity with energy and molecules, and it doesn't define the boundaries of me, the individual. So in order for me to have the perception of myself as an individual, I have to have a small group of cells in my left hemisphere that define the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So I actually know that the glasses on my face are not me, but that my face is my face. So, so the left hemisphere defines the structure of me, and then I, it also gives me language. And with language, I have the ability to say I am an individual, I am separate from you. And so this is going to be the consciousness of me, the ego, me, Mm. everything that has to do with Jill Bolte-Taylor, which is separate from you. And otherwise, my right brain doesn't perceive us as separate. It perceives us as um, a sharing energy and really one human family, a collective. So on the morning I had of the stroke, I, I lost, I ended up over the course of four hours losing uh, my, the, the, the skill sets of my left hemisphere. So with that went the definition of me, the individual. I lost all my past, all my future, all of anything that I could identify to me, the individual. And I shifted into the consciousness of the present moment. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't remember your past or your future? No. You couldn't remember your past at all? Like you, you looked no. back, you didn't remember what you did. I didn't look back. Ago. You didn't, didn't look back. What did that feel like? So, Peaceful so you, euphoria. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you got rid of all the pain from your past and all the fears from your future and all the relationships that bring you stress, all the the requirements on you that bring you uh, that you have to perform for. Imagine what that would feel like to lose all of that. Those blissful euphoria is beautiful. There's absolutely no stress in the present moment. All the stress is in the fear and the trauma in the cells of our left hemisphere. Wipe out the left hemisphere. The right hemisphere is right here, right now, and it's beautiful. What did you experience as like yourself? So you, th- I there you are. So, so, I was so, not. I was not an individual. I was. I experienced myself as big as the universe. Mm. Wow. I was lovely. It was peaceful. It was beautiful. It no was fear. love. No it fear. felt like love. No it fear. Felt like love. No fear. What's there no to love. fear? What's there to fear? We don't fear in the present moment. We fear in the memory of the past and in the fear of the future. We don't fear in the present moment. And if we do, it's, it's we're, we're alert and aware in the present moment and we manage it in the present moment. We're very able in the present moment. Got it. So, so 
So, so, so if you look at those two hemispheres and you look at them anatomically, we have emotion of the experiential of the present moment. And that's a personality. We know what it feels like when we're experiencing something in the present moment. And in the present moment, there's no judgment of right and wrong and good and bad. There's just the experience of doing and being. And we also have thinking tissue in the present moment in that right hemisphere. And that's our connection to all that is. That's when we feel, uh, you know, you stand on a top of a mountain, you look over and you just feel like, oh, my God, I'm alive. And I'm filled with this incredible sense of gratitude. I'm alive and it's beautiful. And that's a character inside of ourselves at an anatomical level. And then the left brain also has all this pain and emotion from the past. And we know what that character inside of ourselves feels like. It feels like, like uh, it feels unhappy. It feels like it wants to push away. It wants to say no. It naturally self-sabotages. It wants to protect us. And then we have thinking in that left hemisphere, which is that our ability to have a rational, analytical left brain that defines what is right and what is wrong and what is good and bad. So we have all these different groups of cells, these four different groups of cells, two emotional and two thinking, and they each have very different personality character profiles. We can get to know them. We can help them get to know one another, and then we can create balance between them so that we can live the life we want to live. Because yeah, I was going to ask that when you're in that state of just bliss and oneness and euphoria uh, and, and it being in the now, I mean, that sounds, that sounds incredible. That sounds like, wow, you know, the, the holy texts talk about that sort of st the state of being, but... How, how, how does one function in life and live life on a daily basis in that state? Can, can you, can, can an individual live in, in, in that sort of euphoric oneness state in daily life? I don't life? think that's the goal. Oh. I, I don't think that's the objective. I think the objective is to be whole brain, whole brain. Mm. The objective is to get to know all of these four different characters inside of your brain, whole brain living. Oops, sorry. Whole brain living. That's the title of this new book. Whole yes. brain living, the anatomy of choice and the four characters that drive our life. And if you have the ability at any moment in time to become that character in that right thinking part of your brain, you don't have to stay there long. You know, your biggest the universe, you know, love is at the heart of everything. You know that your job is to love everyone first and then what happens, what else you do are these other three characters inside of your brain. So the ultimate goal isn't to exist in, in that space forever. The goal is to know that, come from that space, be that at the root of who you are, and then live a, a life that is, is healthy and whole and protected uh, and, and just, you know, bring the best of you, bring the gift of what you are into the world. So I want you to break, you, you mentioned them, but I want you to just really, if we could go deeper into the four characters, these four aspects of the brain, uh, if you could just share a bit about each one and just, yes. just drill a little deeper so we have an understanding of each one uh, so that we can begin understanding what each aspect is and then understanding how to live in this way that you're talking about whole brain in a way that's integrated. So first, just break down each one in a bit of depth for us. 
So when you think anatomically, we have emotions in both hemispheres. And, and this is these are cells. These are emotional cells. And the right hemisphere is going to be the emotion of the present moment. And the left is going to be the emotions of the past and the emotions of the future. So, and then we're going to have thinking cells with the difference between us and other mammals is the addition of these thinking cells. So we add thinking tissue in the right hemisphere and thinking tissue in the left hemisphere. So we have these four different modules of cells. So I'm going to call them character one, two, three, and four. But I encourage people, name your characters, get to know them. You already know them inside of yourself. And the more you relate to specific identities, Entities inside of yourself, then you can call on that identity at any time, or you can figure out which other identity inside of you you're giving the microphone to, and you might not want to give that character your microphone in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so we do have the power to pick and choose which of these four characters we embody at any moment. So character one is the left thinking analytical brain that we think of when we think of how we communicate with the external world. This is a part of us. It organizes and categorizes and creates order in the world. And it loves to control people, places, and things. It is punctual and it cares that you're punctual too. So this is our analytical left thinking character one. Do you recognize that part of yourself? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Definitely. I give that give that part a name. I call mine Helen, which is hell on wheels. She gets it done. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I can yeah. definitely see that 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 aspect inside of me for sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's left thinking character one. Character two is left emotion. And this is all your pain from your past. Well, you know your own little painful self. You know that when when somebody makes you angry or someone hurts your feelings and, and you, it's the part that pouts and it's the part that blames and it's the part that yells and it's the part that gets angry or it's the part that holds resentment or feels guilty. We know that part of ourselves and this is our pain. It's a, it's a small part of ourselves. It's an, uh, uh, and by small, I mean young. It is a young part of ourselves that will never mature. Do you know that part of yourself? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yes, I call mine Abby. Abby is short for abandonment because I believe the moment I was born from the symbiotic relationship of my mother's womb out into this world by myself, I'm thinking that was the original wound for most of us. But I call mine Abby. So I have Helen. She gets it done. And Abby is the pain from my past. And I know what she feels like. I know the instant she comes online. I know how she's, she's, uh, she's also the craving tissue of our addictions. And so, um, you know, we get to know that part of ourselves. Character three is the emotion in the present moment. And in the present moment, again, I don't have me, the individual. So the present moment is this fantastic time. It's this fantastic moment of experience. And so it's like, well, let's go play together. Let's go explore. Let's go be creative. It's not about right and wrong and good or bad. Let's go, uh, let's go paint something. Let's go Let's go uh, on an adrenaline rush together and let's do it together because it's not defining the boundaries of me, the individual separate from you. So this is our little playful self. Do you know that part of yourself? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. 
So I call my pig pen, pig pen, the, uh, the Charles, uh, Schultz, uh, cartoon pig pen. Remember little pig pen? He's walking around in a dust storm. Um, and he's proud of his dust storm. You know, he's happy. He's present. Uh, his dust has been around for thousands of years. I mean, it's like, yes, what's, what's not to love about the present moment? And then character four is that thinking tissue that connects us to this incredible depth of gratitude. So this is the part of our brain that is completely grateful, completely not attached to me, the individual, not to the me, the mind, not to my loved ones, not to my history, not to my future, not to my bank account. It's not about my house and how big it is compared to yours. It's about, oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm alive. I have this this opportunity to, through these beautiful cells, experience this phenomenon of being alive at all. Oh, my gosh. And Mm -hmm. so uh, do you know that part of yourself? Yes, I do. Exactly. So these are the four characters that we all have at a neuroanatomical level. And when we get to know them and we get to recognize them in ourselves, then we start recognizing them in other people. And we start to realize, you know, I get along with this person because my character one and their character one, they get together and they're really productive together. Right. And then I like to go play with this person over here because my character three and their character three, they like to go play together and explore Mm -hmm. things together. And then when I'm in a really foul mood, misery loves miserable company, I know who to call (laughs) in order to just, you know, moan together. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I know who to go to as a little character two in pain. Whose character four do I go to to hold me? And to love me and to just help soothe my pain away. And when we get to know these dynamics, oh, my gosh, the power we gain over our lives. Yeah, I I was just thinking, uh, Dr. Jill, that you should create like a dating app based on whole brain living. Call it like whole brain (laughs) dating. (laughs) Because I'm seeing like the nightmare of what's going on. Like, you know, my character, too, with, you know, Conflict with her character three, it's just, it could get interesting. It could get interesting. It does. Well, and you know, the beauty of that is exactly two character twos. When, when you, let's say something, something innocent, like uh, you went out and you played with the boys, you went out, you wanted to play, Mm -hmm. play something with the boys. And so um, her character one was thinking, um, well, I, I, I had dinner ready. You know, I was doing something special for you. And so then she moves into her too, because now her feelings are hurt. And you're over here in your character three, hanging out with your buddy saying, Hey, I'm really happy. I had a fantastic time and we had a great deal and I had a great game and da da da. And I want you to be happy for me, not realizing that you hurt her little character two's feelings. So then you move into your character two because now you're resentful that Uh-oh. she's resentful and now we got war, right? Mm. Exactly. But you get along really well when you're both in your three or you're both in your one together. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Make, makes so much sense. Makes so much sense. You know, with as individuals, how do we, as we start understanding this, is there a way to bring these characters into sync within ourselves because i could i could see how sometimes 
these characters are operating maybe with without our conscious awareness. You know, I'm in character two within myself and in character one, but I'm not even sure what's happening. And so what can we do to consciously bring these characters into sync, into harmony, to, to, to work together? Is there a practice? Is there something you can share about that? So once we know who our four characters are and we really start observing, under what circumstances does my character one come out? Who likes my character one? Who gets along with my character one? Where, you know, how much time do I spend in my character one? What does it feel like inside of my body to actually be Helen, that part of me? And what does she need in order to be happy? And, and do the same thing for character two, character three, and character four. Really get to know each of these four characters inside of yourself. And then there's a practice I call the brain Huddle, BRAIN, B-R-A-I-N as the acronym. And B stands for breath. Bring your mind to the breath. Well, why would I want to do that? Because the breath is like a train that runs from the moment I'm born to the moment I die. It's a track that's always in the present moment. So as soon as I think about my breath, and this is why so many people who meditate or pray or do mantra or do whatever focus on the breath, is because the breath is the train that's running on the track of the present moment. So B, breath, focus on the breath. You can increase and decrease its frequency and its amplitude. You can mess around with it, but it's in the present moment. So B stands for breath. Bring your mind into the present moment. R stands for recognize which of the four characters was I in before one of them called the brain huddle. Because any four of them at any moment in time can call this huddle. So the huddle means we're coming into the present moment. We're looking at all of us. B, focus on the breath. R, recognize which one called the huddle. A stands for appreciate the fact that, okay, character one might have called the huddle, but I've got four of us in here. Character mm -hmm. three might have called the huddle, but there's four of us in here, right? Appreciate that there's four of us so that now we're all present, which means now I have choices, right? So B, breath. R, recognize who calls the huddle. A, appreciate that we have four of us. I, inquire inside of these four. Let them communicate. Which one wants to come out next? Which one do we want to come out next? Little character two wants to come out yelling and screaming, right? Mm. Character one wants to come out and fix it. Character three wants to ignore it all and go play. Character four is just grateful that we're capable of being upset and being miserable and enjoying the fact that we are miserable, all right? So they're all different in what they bring into that brain huddle. And then N stands for navigate. Navigate moment by moment by moment, which of my four characters do I want to have in this present moment? And it's pure power. The brain huddle is pure power inside of who we are. So just as you said, you know your conscious self. Well, you've got three quarters. We've been calling three quarters of our brain unconscious or subconscious. We don't have to anymore. We can know very specifically, what is my full consciousness? I can live a 100% completely conscious existence when I know who my four characters are. And in the brain huddle, we choose moment by moment who and how I want to be in the world. 
beautiful. I love that. We choose. I mean, that really is very empowering to have that, that knowing that we have that power. But what about, let's say, when someone, you know, because sometimes there's moments where certain behaviors, for instance, might feel uh, compulsive, like, they might say, Dr. Jill, I, I just, I'm, yes. doing, I'm doing this thing and I can't help myself. I hear you, but I just, yeah. I can't help, you know, cocaine, yeah. smoking, sex and addiction, shopping. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't feel that I'm in choice. So like, That's like practically you were... in that moment, right? Yes. What does someone do in that moment when, when, when they understand the concept sounds great. I choose, but the reality, I can't help myself feels way more real. You know, the beauty of the brain is that, first of all, that's all character two. Character mm. two is the craving tissue. It's the addiction tissue. It's our pain tissue. It's, oh, my God, uh, I am my pain. I'm not my pain. My pain is a group of cells inside of my brain, first of all. Do I want to be in control or do I want the addiction to be in, in control? Come on, let's take a little responsibility for the other 95% of the cells inside of our brain instead of giving all the power to our anger or our addiction. We have choices. We are making in, choices. Is it, is it all in the brain? I mean, sometimes people say, well, but it's my heart is broken. It's in my heart. I'm feeling it in my belly. I'm, it's in my body. I'm feeling pain. It's not just in my brain. It just, it's, in my, it's in my being. It's in my heart. Sometimes it's, Yeah, but if you change it at the level of the brain, the brain's the root. So how do we change it? it? How do we well, change it at the level of the well, brain? Well, first of all, well, I'm going to go right back to the brain huddle. The brain huddle is the power. The brain huddle is my willingness to say, uh, yeah, I've got this addiction and I have this craving and I have this desire and I, I can't help myself. Well, the fact of the matter is that that's a small group of cells inside of your brain convincing you that that's all that's inside of your head. It's simply not true. So you have decided to believe that that is true. We all know that we can crave a cigarette or crave sex or crave, you know, the next video game. We can crave it. And somehow or another, if we don't get it, we still end up surviving. Right. Mm. And the thing about circuitry is that circuits can run as you said, like OCD, obsessive compulsive, we can become compulsive. And the thing about neurons and circuits is that the more often we run a circuit, the stronger that circuit becomes. So eventually that circuit can become an automatic mm -hmm. circuit and then it becomes a habit. So how do we, how do we go backwards from that? Well, we stop running the circuit. So if you want to stop smoking cigarettes, Start cutting back on cigarettes. You know, you don't have to smoke three packs a day every time you have a desire. You don't have to stick one in your mouth and light it. You don't have to do that. And if you don't have any cigarettes for half a day, then, you know, somehow or another, it might not have been comfortable, but you managed to live without it. These are cells inside of our brain. And there are other cells that are equally as powerful. But you have to be willing to decide that you want to be in control of your brain instead of simply running on automatic. That's so, your power. That is power. Otherwise, we're just all running around like a bunch of wild animals. So, so you're saying that any behavior, and I want I want people to like get it 
unequivocally, unequivocally here, any behavior we can change? I'm going to say that any addiction we have, we absolutely can come, can get get rid of. Any addiction we can change. Okay. Any right. uh, any addiction. Now, there are now and the reason why I went to addiction instead of any behavior is because the whole first part of this conversation was about severe mental illness. Mm. And if you're wired if you're wired differently, um, you cannot as far as I'm aware, you well, actually that's not true either. Uh, but you got to be committed to it. So say, for example, that um, uh, someone has schizophrenia, and we already talked a little bit about yes. the cells in schizophrenia missing the normal information processing, right? Um, there's a guy named um, Dr. Michael Merzenek, and back in the 80s, he coined the term neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is the ability of neurons to rearrange which other neurons they are communicating with and in network with in order to create new new skill sets, which is otherwise called learning. And we create 1.8 million new synaptic connections per second when we're learning something new per second. That's a whole lot of growth going on inside of the brain. So he has created this wonderful collection of games at a website called uh, Brain HQ for Brain Headquarters, brainhq.com. And these are games that actually are specifically designed to increase the function and ability of certain circuits inside of our brain. And the beauty of these kinds of things is that it tra- we're training then these circuits to become stronger so that when we need them in normal living, they are available. And it is my understanding through speaking with Dr. Merzenek that after, you know, uh, it takes a lot of training, like 150 to 300 hours of specific training, that you can actually train a person's brain from having severe schizophrenia to being more functional. But of course, the problem is that person has to be motivated to sit there and do that work. And most people diagnosed with schizophrenia are not willing to do that. So you have to consider that this is a collection of cells. And based on what we put into it and what circuits we run, then that becomes the established circuitry of who we are. But we all know we can create new learning. We can create new habits. We can, we can get rid of old habits. Mm, powerful. Just a side, side question, but, but, I, but I think it's, it, it could help someone listening. For someone who, let's say, their family member or they're dealing with someone that they love, uh, a mother, a spouse, a child, who has schizophrenia or some mental illness that might be severe in some way, what advice would you have for that person in terms of how they can support or or healthily, effectively relate to that member who has the mental illness? Is there any advice you could give? Because it can be so painful, you know, dealing with someone who you love so deeply that they're just in another reality. Get to know your own four characters and learn how to do your own brain huddle. Because then you know who you are. 
you know when that person pulls on your heartstrings or they try to manipulate you or you feel helpless, you know that that's your own character too. How do you use your own character for to self-soothe your own character too? How do, how do we take responsibility first for ourselves? It's just like on the airplane, right? Yeah, if there's a problem, you put the oxygen on yourself first before you put it on someone else. The same thing is true for any interaction with another human being. My responsibility is me. I need to take responsibility for who I am, what I am, how I am, how I interact with what I am, who I bring myself as to be in the in the world. And then and then my responsibility is to you as I choose. And that might mean I bring my character one online and I try to help fix your situation so you you can get services that you may may uh, want to get. Um, but how do I self-soothe my own pain, I think is what you're asking. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, you mentioned, and I want to clarify one other piece, pain is in the brain. And it's a very, I think, powerful statement. Um, but let's say, because I think many many of us, we carry, uh, I would say, what well, this is character two, left emotion, pain from the past, painful memories. And, 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 and some of us, you know, we've been through some severe stuff, rape, abuse, pain, you know, mental abuse from parents. And these aren't just things we're making up. They are, they are things that have actually happened. And Trauma is real. Yeah, beyond just interpretation, it's like no, the shit happened. It was actually painful, and so but it was, or, but it happened in the past, and this so, is so one that's thing what people really need to pay attention to. The pain in the past belongs in the past. I can remember it. I can feel it. I can bring it into the present moment at any time. That's a choice. Do I choose to do it? Do I want to, that my trauma to become my addiction? Mm. I have some say over how much time I spend thinking about that. And if I, it's, if I, if it's true uh, and I have PTSD and I actually have flashbacks, I can learn that those are flashbacks. Mm -hmm. These are cells inside of our brain. Trauma is, is imprinted on the cells inside of our brain. I have some say in how often I run that circuitry. And it's not just by putting the energy into that circuitry, it's choosing to run other circuitry instead. But if I'm addicted to my trauma, then I keep rerunning my trauma, my trauma, my trauma. Now, it is true that that could become obsessive compulsive at such a level of, of mental illness that I need to take a medication that will help me stop that circuit from running because that's all medication does is medication goes in and says okay we're not going to run that circuit so much we're going to strengthen these circuits over here so that we're running a little bit more of this instead of that but recognizing that the brain is this collection of cells and we have the ability to look at how ours is running and make choices about, do I want to continue running it the way I'm running it, or do I want to consciously make cognitive choices? Is there any way to dissolve the memory? 
So then you have to ask yourself, what is the point of the memory? Mm. Uh, What is the value of the pain from our past? And isn't it true that the pain from the past looks at a situation and says, uh, what have I learned from, from that? Let's say I was raped. What have I learned? I have learned to look at the world in the present moment through a different filter in order to protect myself from that having a repeat in my present moment, right? So I'm going to look at the world differently through a different lens of protection and safety for my own biological being because that happened. Now, Am I am I saying then then okay well so it was okay that that happened no I'm not but what I'm saying is it happened it happened there's an ed at the end of that it's in the past it doesn't have to taint or discolor my present moment when I have all these other cells inside of my brain now. So, so, so how, but I'm taking responsibility for myself. So mm-hmm. I'm looking and saying, okay, that happened to me. I had a stroke for God's sake. Yeah. And I lost all of my, my history. And wow. um, imagine the trauma, the physical trauma of that experience at the level of my body, half my body's paralyzed. I had to rebuild my body. I had to rebuild the circuitry in my left brain so that I could regain. Uh, I lost the ability to walk, talk, read, write, recall any of my life. I had to rebuild all of that circuitry. Um, and I grew from it. I learned from it. Did you? Did I you don't know? let it define me. That's the point. Is I don't define myself based on my experience. My experience mm-hmm. is a part of my my life. It's not my life. Did you not lose recall of everything forever? I they, I for I, I lost all emotion from the past. All emotion uh, from the past. So so for instance. Uh, someone you loved or someone you cared about or family member, just no emotion towards them? Exactly. How was that? Like The the day, I don't care. I don't care because I don't live in the past. But listen, I don't don't choose (laughs) to live in the past. It is a choice. So I lost, I lost, for example, I was very proud the day I got my doctorate. Right. Mm, So mm, I remember mm. I can remember I got back the memory, the thought, Uh the experience uh, the experience of of getting my doctorate. But I don't have the pride that I experienced. What about someone you loved? Were you married before? I was not. But I have loved before. Yeah. You know, the family member. When when you see a family member, you just walk up to them like, hi. Honey, I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. Mm. I lost it all. I had to rebuild that. Wait, so was your mother alive at the time? Yes, absolutely. So when you met your, okay, when you met your mother for the first time after the stroke and she walked in, you didn't recognize her? You didn't feel anything. I had no her. idea what a mother was. Tell this me woman, about tell me about that. This woman shows up, says I'm your mother. Yeah. What what happens? What what is that like? Uh so uh I'm an infant because I I'm I have no left brain left. I'm all but dead. 
Um, she later describes me as a breathing body in the, in the bed, period. That's all I was. Uh, I was paralyzed. Um, I was vegetative. And um, she walks into my doctoral room, my doctor room, my medical room, and my peers from my job, my boss and my colleague, and two of my, three of my physicians are all standing around the bed. Mm. Uh, my mother walks, they're all excited. So I'm excited because they're excited, but I have no idea why we're excited. <laughs> um, but we're excited because uh, Gigi's coming to town, whatever that means. I have no idea because I have no language. And um, Gigi comes in and she looks at me and I catch her eye and she catches my eye and, and she mean, it means nothing to me. Wow. And she walks in and she, she assesses me. And she immediately acknowledges the physicians in the room. She walks past them. She pulls up the sheet. She crawls in the bed next to me. She wraps her arms around me and she starts rocking me like I am her baby. Mm. Here I am. I'm 37-year-old full-grown woman. She starts rocking me like her, I'm her baby. And she says to me, she says later, there was nothing else for me to do. What do you do when your infant is in distress? You rock them. So that's what she did. She crawled in bed. And I'm thinking, oh, this is nice. <laughs> that's all I'm thinking is, I like this. This is nice. And then she, uh, she took over my life and like a mother said- would. And she said, hey, I'm your mother. And, and, and you're like, okay. Well, I didn't understand language, so it didn't matter. She rocked mm-hmm. me. She wrapped so, so how me. She, you... she mothered me. She did not say, I'm your mother. She mm-hmm. mothered me. So your relationship with her did, did began it again. Did, did, you, did you start developing feelings of connection and love and, and care and, uh, as the years went on? Well, I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we rebuilt our relationship. But it took years. Mm. Wow. 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 That's incredible. Really incredible. What a, what a life you've had, huh? That's really. It's been amazing. a wild ride. It's been wild. It's been wild. And now, how do you feel now as, at, at this stage now, years later, you, within yourself, you rebuilt yourself, which, which must have been an incredible journey. How do you feel now within yourself? You know, you have this new book whole brain living oh i i feel like this book uh whole brain living the anatomy of choice and the four characters that drive our life i believe that this book is the reason why i was born wow this is the gift i give to the world amazing Amazing. i truly believe that 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 helping people realize a better understand what is this brain i mean right right down to you know you did a beautiful job what is the brain? The brain, and you're the first person to ask me that. And I've done over a hundred podcasts in the last <laughs> few months about the book. I'm, what I'm, is a, the brain? I'm a simple guy. I'm like, what is the brain? I mean, we talk what about the brain. brain. Let's start there. Right? That's yeah. right. It is this magnificent collection of cells, and mm. we have emotion and thinking from the past and into the future and the left, and then the right we have thinking and. Uh, emotion, experiential in the present. And when we understand those four characters that we all have and we learn how to negotiate their power in the brain huddle, 
then we truly have the power to choose who and how we want to be in the world. And That's to right. me, when that happens, we become a, we will evolve into a more conscious society. And right now, Lord knows we're desperate for that. Amazing. I think your book, Whole Brain Living, is, is so important and needed. And I'm excited for everyone listening in to check out your book, uh, Whole Brain Living. Check it out, folks. It's, it's, uh, it's powerful, as you can tell. Uh, Dr. Jill's story um, is, is quite a unique one. If you also haven't read My Stroke of Insight, uh, check that out too. But Whole Brain Living, I'm delving into it myself over the upcoming weeks. Um, final question. Final question. You've, sh you've shared so much. So thank you for your generosity and your wisdom and just sharing. So just openly with us today, um, if you were to review your life, I know your past is gone and, you know, the, the, you don't live in the past. But just just indulge me for a moment. Just if you reflect on your life, whatever you remember um, and, and you were to think about the most important lessons that you've learned in your lifetime that if you could share, let's say, three of the most important lessons or messages to the next generation that you feel would evolve the next generation the most, what's the most important things that you've learned in your life that you'd like to share? Three, three. I would say, I would say number one is, number one is, our number one job is to love one another. Mm. Period. That's our number one job. And if we're having a hard time getting out of ourselves, our own individual self into the bigger picture collective whole, um, number two is we have much more power over what's going on inside of our heads than we've ever been taught. And um, I would say number three is knowledge is power. Know who you are. Know your four characters. Mm. Know how to become a conscious human being. And, um, and if you do that, then that will loop right back into number one, which was uh, it's our number one job to love one another. Because mm. as soon as that right thinking part of our brain becomes hooked into the decision making process, then our best self will come forward. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Could you assign a maybe one very simple homework assignment, something that everyone listening in could immediately before they go back into their lives uh, apply that would um, help support, heal, transform? Just something simple that could help uh, increase the quality, the functioning, the power of their brain in some way. Is there one, one simple thing that we could do? Three simple things. Three, One, go for it. Sleep, sleep, <laughs> sleep, sleep. Sleep influences the health and well-being of every cell inside of the body. Wow. So the research now shows very clearly lack of sleep is involved in cardiovascular problems, res respiratory problems, lymphatic problems, endocrine problems, motor problems. All of the problems are wrapped around not enough sleep. So number one, if you want a better life, get more sleep. Mm. Number two, pay attention to how much sugar and caffeine you're eating. Sugar it makes definitely. a difference. It's it, it pay attention. And then number three is movement. Move your body. 
You got to move your body in order to keep the blood going around. We are, we perceive ourselves to be a solid thing, but we're not. We are a liquid environment. And in order to get all of the nutrition and all of the, the waste out of us and all of the good nutrition through us, uh, we need to, to have movement. So those are the big three. Um, more sleep. Uh, cut down on or at least pay attention to your sugar and your caffeine and and what else you're feeding yourself pay attention yes. if you're eating yes. junk you know if you're you're you know just pay attention to what you're consuming and number three is movement movement i love it is there a certain amount of sleep that you found is is like optimal you everybody has to ask their own brain that but mm. if you can allow yourself to to wake up when it's ready to wake up then it's time for you to wake up. Mm, so if you're using an alarm, if you have to use an alarm, and I think that the the uh, all of the research is looking at somewhere between seven and a half and eight and a half hours mm-hmm. of sleep. Some people need nine, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but if you're only getting six hours of sleep, then you might want to do another cycle. And a cycle is typically 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, set yourself up for success. Turn off the the TV, turn off the phone and the computer screen, allow the circadian rhythm to naturalize itself. As soon as the sunset sets, start thinking about what do I need to do to protect my sleep? Mm. We need to learn to protect our sleep. Powerful. Sleep, sugar, movement. Beautiful. Yep. Love one another. That's, that's, I think that's what it all comes down to at the end, folks. Love one another. Folks, you heard this amazing interview with the amazing Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, author of Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, and The Four Characters That Drive Our Life. Check out the book now. Uh, I know it's available on Amazon and in stores. Uh, is there a website you have, Dr. Jill, that, that people can connect with you and your work? What's the best way people can connect with you? Dr. Jill Taylor right now. Uh, Dr. Let's see, drjilltaylor.com is uh, uh, the best place to, to find me right now. Um, and you can find the book, of course, on, on Amazon and wherever. Wherever awesome. books are commonly sold. Awesome. We'll put the links in the show notes, drjilltaylor.com. Dr. Jill, thank you. Everyone, I told you this was going to be a very insightful and enlightening interview. It was powerful. I took lots of notes. Uh, send me an email, folks, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I would love to know, as always, I want to know your key takeaways from today's episode. Share this episode. I think it's a really important one. Share this episode with anyone and everyone in your life. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Love now, everybody. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.